And let's turn back to Colossians uh, chapter 1. And I really do want us to take this theme of living a life that is pleasing to God and try and work out, is that really possible and how is that done? You see, I think many of us think, well, I'd love to live a life that pleases God. I'd love to live a life that makes him smile. I would love that. I don't love the things that I regret. I don't love the things that I think are wrong in my life. I hate those things. I'd love to not have those things. I would love to live a life that just pleases God. And whether you're a Christian here or not, my guess is that that echoes something in your heart. If there is a God out there, I'd really love to know how to please him. How to live a life that pleases him in every way. Well, that little phrase comes up in our reading. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, In verse 10 it says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So the man who wrote this, a man called Paul, clearly thinks that for Christians to seek to live a life that pleases God in every way is a good thing. And it's a right thing. We're not supposed to be cynical and give up. It's a bit like I think this is the time of year when lots of people have been given something like a tennis racket um, or some paints and painting stuff or something for a new hobby. And you've watched someone else do it and you think, wow, that looks amazing. And you pick up your tennis racket and you go to the court and you, you just can't do it. Or you're given a musical instrument or you're given some juggling ball, all this sort of stuff, right? This is the kind of thing that at Christmas you think, I don't know what to buy them, I'll buy them this. And, and it's frustrating, And most of us, when we're in that situation, shrug our shoulders and go, well, I'll give up. It turns out I'm not Roger Federer. When I hit the ball, it flies for miles. Or I'm not the next whoever in the art world. So I'll just give up. And that can be a dangerous Christians. That as Christians, we go, turns out I'm not as great as I thought I was, so I'm just going to give up on this whole trying to live God's way. I'll just settle for a sort of mediocre, average, doing my best type thing. But when Paul writes to this church in this place called Colossae, which is why they're called the Colossians, when Paul writes to them, he doesn't write to them and say, hey, look, just give up. Go for average. That'll do. Go for a that'll do level of pleasing God. No, Paul wants them to pursue a life pleasing to God in every way. But I want you to see what he does. And the interesting thing in this section is he doesn't tell them to do anything. Do you notice that? He does one thing. He prays for them. And so what we have here is Paul's prayer. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So Paul hears about this church and he prays and he prays and he prays for them. And then he tells them what he's praying. This is pretty cool to get an insight into what Paul was praying for this church. And he is only praying one thing. 
And what we're going to do now is we're going to try and go through this text really carefully. We're going to try and look at everything that it says and see how it all links together because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see what the Bible says and we're going to work out what Paul is praying for this church in Colossians and how that can help us. So there is only one request and there is one reason for that request. Okay, just see if you can see that with me to start off with. Have a look down at verse um, 9. Hello. Have a look down at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Here's the request. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. There's the request. Now, what are the first two words of verse 10? So that... So I'm praying this for you so that this happens. What is it he wants to happen so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way? It's that simple. One request, that they may be filled with the knowledge of all of the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. One request to bring about one aim, one reason. So we're going to look at those two things. Firstly, let's look at this request. What does Paul mean when he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives? That's a mouthful. It's not the sort of thing I normally pray for people. I normally pray that people will be blessed and have a nice time and have a happy Christmas. Paul prays something really profound. Right, let's, let's start with a picture of my brain. Okay, here's um, a picture of my brain. Not exact, uh, but just imagine that that is my mind. All right? Now, there's a problem with my mind. The problem with my mind is that it is full of human thinking. I think humanly. I think with human wisdom and understanding. And so I'm going to fill up my mind with green triangles. It's impressive. Impressive, I know. You've never seen such a PowerPoint. (laughs) Now, these green triangles, they represent human wisdom. They represent my natural way of thinking. So if you look down at verse 9 again, that second half, verse 9, let me read it, flipping it round to talk about human wisdom. At the moment, my mind is... uh, is full of the knowledge of my will through all the wisdom and understanding that I find, that I get. So it's all about my wisdom and understanding. Now, if I think about, I want to please God in every way, and I'm going to do that using my green triangles, I am going to approach that pleasing life with human wisdom. That is, I'm going to try and achieve it myself. I'm going to try and find a way to make my life pleasing to God. You see, human wisdom is what comes naturally to us. It's the way our minds naturally think. But here comes the problem. Cast your eye over to verse 21. Chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Right, here is the problem. By nature, my mind is full of human wisdom and human wisdom is opposed to God by nature. 
It isn't like human wisdom is lovely and great and wonderful. Actually, human wisdom says, I can do it on my own. Romans 1, another book in the Bible, talks about exchanging God. We claim to be wise and did things our way. We made idols and we worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. And so human wisdom is not okay. Now, if you jump down to um, chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul is really worried about this church he's writing to because there's a problem. Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So he says the trouble is, if you live your Christian life trying to achieve it according to human wisdom, you're going to end up enslaved, deceived. You see that? That becomes more clear when you um, go over to um, verse 23. Paul has talked about a whole load of rules that humanity comes up with in order to live a life that's pleasing to God. And verse 23 says, uh, well, verse 22, these rules which have to do with the things that are, these things which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. All of this to say, if my head is full of human wisdom, and I think I've got to live a life pleasing to God, then I'll come up with rules, I'll try really hard, I'll put the effort in, I'll come up with a plan, I can do it in my strength. And Paul says, it might look wise, but it won't get you anywhere. It won't get you to a life that's pleasing to God. Actually, it will just get you to a life of slavery. That is where religion, human religion, will always end up. It will always end up with you feeling crushed and burdened and disappointed and like a failure. Because you'll never do it. And so Paul is praying something different for these guys. Paul is not praying, Father, please would their human wisdom lead them to a life that's pleasing to me. He's not praying that. Instead, he's saying, please, would the green triangles... Right, this is what he's praying, Look, He's praying... (laughs) That was exciting, wasn't it? Did you miss it? I'm going to do it again. Watch, if you missed it that time, don't miss it again. Here it comes. It's so exciting. What do you think the red circles might be? God's thinking, right? The red circles are God's thinking, God's will, what God loves, what God says. And by nature, my mind is full of green triangles. And Paul is praying that these Colossian Christians, that their minds would be full of red circles. That God would replace their human thinking with, with his thinking. Which is why he says we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives. This is not something that you achieve on your own. This is not something that you work out for yourself. This is not something that you do a PhD and discover what it is. This is something that God does for you. 
That's why Paul is praying it. If it was something you were supposed to do, Paul wouldn't be praying it. He'd be telling you to do it. He'd be saying, stop thinking that way, start thinking this way. But instead he says, I'm praying that God would do this for you. And he's not just praying that God would give them a bit of his wisdom and understanding. What's he asking them to do? How much is he asking for? He's asking God to fill them. To fill them with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding. He is praying that the Colossian Christians... Man, this is taking a long time. He's praying that the Colossian Christians would have minds that are full of the knowledge of God's will. That their minds would be full of God's thinking. That when they think, they would think God's thoughts. And they say, well, how, do, how does that happen? Well, it happens as God, by his Holy Spirit, gives us that understanding. And as we read in the Bible, as we read the word of God, and as we ask the Spirit to change our thinking, to give us this knowledge, only then do we begin to live a life that's pleasing to God. Do you know, wisdom in the Bible is always a gift. It's never something you achieve. It's a very famous king called Solomon. Solomon became king. And God said to him, what do you want me to do? I'll give you anything. What do you want? And Solomon says, please give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Help me to think your way. Help me to understand the world your way. Help me not to see the world through my eyes, but to see the world through your eyes. Father, please, by your spirit, would you give me your thinking? Can I say to you, that is what we most need this this Christmas, this coming year. What we most need is that God would give us, by his spirit, his thinking. Now the reality, of course, is that our minds are a mixture of green circles, green triangles and red circles. And that's where we find the struggle. But the problem is that often we fight the wrong behaviour that we see in our lives by rules and by our own effort and by human wisdom, rather than fighting it by asking God to change our thinking and to give us knowledge of his will. So this is where it starts. This is what Paul is praying. That's why, as a church, we think it's really important that we're reading the Bible and asking the Spirit to teach us. What we're not doing when we open the Bible is just kind of filling our heads with information. We don't want information because that's just green triangle thinking. What we want is revelation. We want God to teach us things. We want him to fill us with his truth. Why? What's the reason? One request to be filled with God's thinking. Only God can do that by his spirit, through his word, through all wisdom and understanding. What's the reason? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. To live a life that's pleasing to God. Now those two things are connected. The way you live a life pleasing to God is by having your mind filled with his thinking. 
And what Paul does in the rest of this section is unpack for us what a life pleasing to God would look like. And he tells us four ways that a life pleasing to God, you can see it, just look at it with me. So verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy to the Lord and please him in every way. What does that mean? Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, and verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father. But here's the key. Paul is not saying to them, you need to bear fruit in every good work, and you need to joyfully give thanks, and you need to have all... He's not saying to them, you must do this. He's saying, I'm praying this so that this will happen. So if you discover that you're not living a life pleasing to God... Your problem is not your behaviour. Your problem is not, I'm not living a life pleasing to the Lord. Your problem is that your mind is not full of red circles. And what we end up doing is attacking it here when actually the problem is here. And therefore our heart's cry needs to become, God, please fill me with your thinking. Spirit, shape my mind. Change me. Let me see things your way. Let me love people your way. So let's unpack then this life that's pleasing to God. Firstly, it means bearing fruit in every good work. Even bearing fruit, right? Think about bearing fruit. That's a great picture. Not achievements. That's what our world loves to talk about, so you can achieve great things. No, bearing fruit is not an achievement, is it? If you're a branch of an apple tree, and you make an apple dangling off the end of your branch, ooh, an apple, you don't go, ooh, look at me, I'm such a great branch, look what I've achieved. You don't then cut yourself off and run around going, I'm a branch, look, I've got an apple. No, your apple is just the obvious outworking of the fact that you're a branch that's connected to an apple tree. It's not because you're magnificent and wonderful. It's just because you're connected to the tree. This is exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm a tree, you're a branch. Stick with me and we'll bear much fruit. That's how it goes. And so we are supposed to live lives that bear fruit. Lives that are good, that do good to people. Lives where there is evidence of Jesus at work in us. We're supposed to live lives where good things happen, where we do work. And you may say, well, I don't feel very fruitful. I don't feel like my life is doing any good to anyone. And it may be that you sit there and go, well, that's rubbish. My life's not doing any good to anyone. I'm such a rubbish Christian. I really must try harder. Oh, New Year's resolution. I'm going to try and bear more fruit. No. That's not the answer. The, The answer is not try and bear more fruit. The answer is, Father, please, would you fill me with the knowledge of your wisdom and understanding through your spirit. Because as you are filled with his thinking, you will bear more fruit. You can't not. Is this making sense to people? No? Maybe? It's just an obvious outworking. This will happen if this is happening. 
And if you are not being filled with the knowledge of God's will, if you're not thinking God's thoughts, then you will not bear fruit. You may bear other stuff. You may have a great career. You may be very successful. You may have all sorts of um, achievements. You may get all sorts of qualifications. You may make all sorts of amounts of money, but it will not be fruit. Because fruit comes as you're filled with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding. Okay, not just uh, fruit, growing in knowledge. What is it that God wants for you in this coming year? God wants for you to grow in your knowledge of him. That's a great thing. He wants you to grow in your knowledge of him, to know more. Now, not just to know more about him, but actually to know him. It's interesting, isn't it, when you watch documentaries. There was a documentary last night about um, Michael Hutchins, the singer of In Excess, lead singer of In Excess, a, a band many years ago. And the fascinating thing is that you can know all sorts about him, but it's when you listen to the people who actually know him that they talk differently. So his friends talk differently about him than those who are just music critics. And some of us are more like music critics when it comes to God. We know lots about God. We can answer lots of questions about God. Oh, yes, I know the answer to that. Yes, I know what verse is here. I know what God likes. I know this about God. I know what God... But actually, what God longs for us is to be those who know him as his friends. To know him intimately. That we would grow in our knowledge of him. Not just knowledge about him, but knowledge of him. What an amazing thing it would be this year to say at the end of 2020, I know God better. You long, you long for that? And you may say, I don't know, I don't feel like I know God at all. And you're right. It would be great to know God better. That's it. That's going to be my New Year's resolution. I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to achieve this. I'm going to take a degree in God so that I can get all this information. I'm going to read that book I've been meaning to read about God. I'm sure that will help. And all the time, you go, no, no, no. In order to know God better, you need to pray and ask that God would fill you with his thinking. That's the logic of this. I'm asking that God would fill you with this so that you may know him better. It's a gift that God gives. You don't get to know God unless you ask him. Ask him. So if you have a longing to know God better, ask him. And it's not about how much you know of the Bible. It's not about how clever you are or how academic you are. It's about those who humble themselves and ask. Thirdly, being strengthened with power according to his glorious might so you may have great endurance. This is a great one. Who doesn't want to be strengthened with all power? Come as you head into 2020, I would love this year to be strengthened with all power. I think I'd like that. Yes, that would be excellent. Well, here's a surprise. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you what? Don't look. What would you imagine it was going to say? 
I want to be strengthened with all of God's power according to his glorious might so that I can change the world. So that I can do great miracles. So that I can build great churches. So that I can be magnificent. (laughs) Paul says, I'm praying this so that you may endure and have patience. It's a bit of a letdown, isn't it? All of God's power according to his glorious might, just so that you might endure. I don't know what the most powerful thing you've ever seen as a Christian is. But I want to suggest to you that it wouldn't look powerful to the world. But I want to suggest to you that it would be someone who in the face of incredible suffering just keeps trusting Jesus. That, right there, is the extraordinary power of God. So the old lady, Betty, who I knew as a child, and who, every time she saw me, every sentence she'd say, praise the Lord, like all the time. Lovely, lovely old lady. I mean, she was old when I was younger, but she's still around. And she just keeps trusting Jesus. And the other day, she met, she met my brother. She's not seen my brother for 30 years. And my brother's turned away from Jesus. And she met, met him in a shop, and she said, you're Tim, aren't you? He said, yes. She said, have you turned back to Jesus yet? He said, no. And she said, well, I will pray for you every single day. And you think, here is a little old lady who just is so unimpressive to the world. And yet there's the power of God in keeping going. She just keeps going. She keeps loving Jesus. And you could tell me stories of people that you've seen who just keep going, who just keep enduring. You see, being a Christian is not about the flashy, woo, over in a few minutes type thing. Being a Christian is the long, hard race. It's the whole of life. And if you are going to survive the whole of life as a Christian, you are going to need all of the glorious, mighty power of God to get to the finishing line. And you may sit here today and you may say, I don't think I can do that. I'm not sure I've got the strength. I'm not sure I'm strong enough. I'm not sure I could ever get to the end. I'm not sure I could be one of these old people who keeps trusting. I don't know if I can do that. Well, the solution is to pray that you'd be filled with God's thinking. Because it is that that leads to that. It isn't about willpower. It isn't about being impressive. It isn't about having great personal endurance. This is not a sort of endurance story that the world loves to hear of someone who stayed alive for 60 days and nights on the open sea and just by sheer force of willpower stayed alive. That's not what this is. This is about someone whose mind has been changed to see Jesus so clearly that they just keep going. 
And whatever comes in life, whatever happens in 2020, we don't know what's going to happen this year. We don't know what difficult things we're going to face. But we should be praying, please fill us with your thinking so that whatever happens, we would keep going. So that we will have the energy and the strength just to endure. You see, green triangles will tell you at various points this year, give up, it's too hard. Just stop. You've tried following Jesus, it's too hard. It's not working, he's not doing what you ask, he's not helping you, in fact he just seems to be making life harder. Just give up. That's human wisdom and human thinking. And what we need is for God to fill us with his thinking that says, no, he loves us, he's for us, he's strong, he sent his son to die for us and he will keep us and he will hold us, so endure. We need God's wisdom to be able to see life that way. And then fourthly and finally, to be thankful, to joyfully give thanks. If our heads are full of red circles, we will joyfully give thanks. I don't know if you are thankful sort of person. Some people are more thankful naturally than others, aren't they? Some people walk down the street and are full of thankfulness. Just thankful. Others of us are just a bit grumpy and not so thankful. I remember that it was about, it was about this time of year, actually. It was one of my least favourite days of the year when my mum, after all the excitement of Christmas Day, would say, um, now it's time to write the thank you letters. <laughs> and you sit down and you think, oh, man. And you begin to wonder whether it was even worth Was it even worth having the presence for the agony of writing a thank you letter? Did anyone else have this? This, It felt like such a mountain to do. And some of them, you know, with the presents that weren't very good, you you, you felt like saying, thanks very much. Next year, it's quite costly writing a thank you letter. Can you make it worth it? (laughs) Some of us aren't naturally very thankful. But here is... The sort of thinking, when our heads are full of God's thinking, we will overflow with thankfulness. We will be joyfully thankful. Look, if our heads are full of green triangles, if our heads are full of human thinking, if it's all about me and what I achieve and my efforts, then we won't be very thankful people. We'll be the sort of people who feel like we deserve stuff and who moan when things go wrong. We'll be fairly critical people and we'll be people who feel like we deserve stuff. And we'll be quick to see when things aren't right. But when our heads are full of God's thinking, then we will overflow with thankfulness because we will see things as God sees them and we'll think them the way God thinks. And we will begin to see just how much he's done for us. Look, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We haven't got anywhere near enough time to unpack that. Suffice to say this, once we were people who were in darkness, far away from God, enemies in our minds, because of our evil behaviour because of the way that we lived 
And God sent his son to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and bring us into a new kingdom. We have been transferred from darkness to light. We are new people. And whatever else happens this week, this year, whatever goes wrong in your life, whatever leaks happen in your flat or cars that break down or jobs that go wrong or relationships that break down, nothing will change the fact that you are one of his holy people, you are one of his loved people, you're one of the people who belong to his kingdom forever and ever. He sent his son to redeem you, to forgive you, to buy you, to pay for you. He sent his son and Jesus in his death on the cross has brought you from darkness to light. That's why you give thanks. And if you're sitting here and you say, well, I don't even know this God, this is the heart of it. Before anything else, he rescues you. You need rescuing. That's why Jesus came. That's what the whole Christmas shebang was about. Jesus came to rescue you, to die on a cross, to bring you from darkness, away from God, to light forever. (laughs) It's beautiful. And then you overflow with thankfulness. And some of us may sit here and go, yes, you're right, I really should be more thankful. I'm going to try that this year. I'm going to try and be more thankful. I've got a a system. I've come up with a system to be more thankful. Every day I'm going to write down three things to be more thankful about. No! I hope you're getting this by now. That's not how you make yourself more thankful. What you do is you ask God to fill you with his thinking, to see things his way. And as you do that, you overflow with thankfulness. If you're not a thankful person, your problem is not the system. Your problem is your thinking. And therefore, don't fix it with a human idea. Fix it with the Spirit filling you and asking that you'd overflow with thankfulness. So I don't know which of those four areas, whether it's Living, you know, bearing fruit, whether it's knowing God, whether it's being strengthened to keep going, or whether it's giving thanks. I don't know which of those you struggle with, but they all have the same solution. You ask that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. So really, there's only one thing to go away and do from this sermon. <laughs> if you haven't got this, then I've failed miserably. The only thing you have to do as you go away from church today is ask God to do this for you and for one another. Pray this for one another. Pray this for the people sitting near you. Pray this for your family. Pray this for your work colleagues. Pray this for everybody that you know, that their minds will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. They think God's thoughts. They know his will so that they live a life that pleases him. So why don't we bow our heads? Let's ask God to do that now and we're going to sing together Heavenly Father we ask that you would please fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that your spirit gives so that we may live lives worthy of you and please you in every way Father please would you do that for us We long to live lives that please you. We cannot do it on our own. So would you change our thinking? Fill our minds with your thoughts, your will, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.